Hello and welcome back to Level Zero Literacy. My name is Mason, and this week we will be bringing you Norco, an absolute indie darling. During the episode, we are going to spoil the game from beginning to end, and we are going to cover a lot of sensitive topics that include, but are not limited to, religion, drug use, global warming, and worst of all, cryptocurrency. Please use your best judgment before proceeding, and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Level Zero Literacy. I'm Sam, and these two guys rode the rails to get here today. It's Mason and Buck. Hello. I'm here playing at the exact, or recording at the exact time Baldur's Gate 3 unlocked on PS5. We have a doozy of a game today, the 2022 point-and-click game Norco, developed by Geography of Robots and written by Yitzi. Norco is a heavily stylized game bringing in aspects of southern gothic and punk and blending them in with pixel art, as well as a healthy dose of Louisiana where the lead creator of the game is from. Yetsi worked on many different artistic pursuits but eventually found themselves working on a game which evolved into Norco as we know it. Inspirations for Norco include Deja Vu, Snatcher, and Final Fantasy VII, at least as far as the art is concerned. You play as Kay, a wayward teen and young adult, who has found herself back home to pick up the pieces of her family after having run from home for quite some time. And Catherine, Kay's mother, who is simply trying to make ends meet, but finds herself in the center of a cultic cosmic power struggle. There's something deeply unsettling and fantastic about the world you find yourself in, and you are tasked with finding the truths that have been buried. Given the nature of Norco, I would like to preface our discussion today as a bit more speculative than our normal episodes, so just know that we may draw some conclusions that differ from your own. If that's the case, leave us a comment somewhere. But let's get into this absolute behemoth of a game. Themes for Norco include environmentalism, technology versus man, religious fanaticism, and familial guilt. How are we feeling after Norco, guys? Sad, heavy, depressed, impending sense of doom, you know, existentially dreadful. A little bit funny. It's, I'm, I'm feeling a little happy. A slight bit of happiness swirled in there, paradoxically. Buck? I see more of myself in K than I have in any other video game protagonist from all the games that we've played and any games I've played at all. Just I I am from a tiny southern town. Not in Louisiana, but when you walk into that bar and have that conversation with those people who knew your dad, I just felt like I was talking to people I knew in real life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the characters in this game that are not directly related to any of the genuinely insane things that are happening are all very grounded in reality. Which is... An incredibly, it's it's a such a great choice because a lot of the things that happen are so surreal and so outlandish and and sci-fi and you know unmoored from reality in in ways that we'll get into that 
I was actually talking with you about this this week when I played the game that like it brought me into the world. It helped me buy in to the setting and buy into the events that were happening that all of the people in the game or the side characters at least are just like these normal Southern people that have these normal problems. You know, they, they have medical problems or they're trying to make rent or they have IBS or, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to sell hot dogs. Just like, it's just like normal guys, you know, and it makes, it makes swallowing the pill of like, Oh yeah, this, this, homeless shaman built a rocket you know it makes the it's like the sugar that makes the medicine go down and it was it was so good they they, you know they've done such a good job writing these characters i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of lead us in with a quote that i found from an interview with yetzi where they kind of talk about some of their process that i found really interesting they said I mentioned accessing emotional truth through art in a world that's as mediated as ours, where reality has become fragmented. We shape our truths through various kinds of imaginative fiction. Our interior worlds are blurring into the material world we inhabit. This is kind of disastrous, but it's a condition of our lives. It's something I want to understand and weaving an elaborate mythos that's grounded in truth kind of helps me get at it, which I think is just a very astute summation of what Norco is as a game. Well, hold on, expand on that. So he's it's there in this interview, they're kind of talking about, or in this, in this quote to me, they're kind of talking about how our, the way we process the world internally the way we internalize the things that happen around us ends up reshaping the way we understand society and so there's this kind of like feedback loop that happens as a result right and now you have a you have you know for better or for worse completely altered your perception on reality through your own biases which is a very you know pretty basic concept but I think it's interesting to where the, the the things we make up in our minds and letting that shape our reality, you know, your perception of reality, which is for better or for worse, just your reality, right? Right. And then taking that to like cranking that knob up to 11 and showing it in a game form. I think really is really interesting way to show. So I guess fantastic nature of what they're trying to get at. What I want to know specifically is like what in the game, I think, I mean, I guess I can think of some things like, right. Like, um, ditch man's like fanaticism kind of, he molded his reality around that and things like that. Yeah. But like, what's something that like spoke to you in the game about in this in this way. Well, I think even just like the world as it exists, Norco is meant to be what could be a very close future to reality. You know, there's a lot of, it could, it could be five minutes. It could ago. be literally <laughs> like tomorrow. It could be, it could be yesterday. <laughs> 
and it's just like a slightly like if things were to just be slightly tweaked right because it's clear that Yitzi really took a lot of the current climate events not climate as in weather but we'll get to that but you know there's duck coin which is cryptocurrency you know the concept of people being able to go to a clinic and have all their memories processed onto a hard drive so the hard drive can act as a sort of stand-in for them when they're gone but even the hard drive requires access to the internet because it needs to update the drivers for it and it's completely unusable if it's offline and that's you know that's something we see a lot today where so many services require you to be connected to the internet and so just little things like that it's not even necessarily the characters right it's just the little things like that where it's taking something that is grounded in reality and just shaping it into something fantastic uh, and you know, slightly departed from where we are currently at, but theoretically we where we could go. It just really, I think is a really cool way to take the design of a game where you are trying to put forward these really difficult issues of cli- being a climate witness, having these really difficult family familial bonds that you've struggled with for your entire life and now you're trying to make right of the situation but circumstance prevents you from doing what you need to do Mm -hmm. and i just want to say this is gonna sound weird i don't know if y'all agree with me but i don't think you can say anything about this game that's too weird that's true it's It's a weird game it's depressing to me how not far from reality this game is yeah like no, we don't have like fucking cyborgs, right? But well, so <laughs> we, I mean, we, we have. Well, we I mean, will. like, hold I mean, on. Now you. Laugh, we don't have, we have like, million. We have like Boston Dynamics. They're yeah. making something very close. Yeah. You know, we have, and we have language AI models. Yeah. It's like, not. It's, it's not, not far fetched that we well, could have something well, like we million. have. We have things closer to the drone priest than million. Yeah, yes. we do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> I would contend I would contend that if someone it might be like a vanity project I would say we could just do the drone priest like we could just make that with currently existing technology we use drones we use weaponized drones to protect private property right now so we could just have the drone priest I I would say that's not science fiction that's just science reality I mean even even a lot of the even a lot of the things in this game are just th- very thinly veiled references to reality, right? Like shield is just shell. Yeah. Duck coin is, is just is crypt is Bitcoin currency. You want, you know, it's it, I think it, I think this game is meant to elicit a sort of sadness about the reality of our world by forcing you to look at it through this very gritty, disgusting lens. But I mean, like the thing I like about it is it's not, it's not this like stupid, vapid black mirror kind of way yeah. that it handles these things. It's like it, it, everything feels very meaningful and intentional and not just like, you know, cause it's very easy. Not, I mean, I feel like I go to this well all the time, but right. Like a lot of, a lot of fiction these days covers a lot of the different themes 
that are handled in Norco, right? The world is becoming unrecognizable. Corporations are destroying the earth. Religion has done irreparable harm to impressionable young people, but gives people like hope in time in like bad times. You know, generational trauma ruins people's lives and there's not, you know, like lot, these are things that are talked about all the time in all kinds of fiction in really vapid ways in like like they they just present it to you yeah like and blankly they expect not you to trying kind of, to say anything about yeah it. yeah just, but in this game it's like it, it always gets anchored to something that's like super meaningful right when you you know they don't just tell you right that like shield has done bad things like you go um you have to go look through a house and in the house is a dark room and you turn the light on and there's a man dying of like some kind of horrible chronic disease that he's got from living in the shadow of shield hell even before that one of the very first things in the game is you you wake up in your house your family's house and you can go turn on the tv and there's been an explosion yeah 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 at one of the refineries you're exactly right and it's just like you know like I mean, like in my example, you like talk to the guy and he's like, well, I wish you'd visit me more. You know, there's yeah. no getting better from this. It's like it anchors these things that could be these these stupid, airy things that everyone knows and you don't like need to preach about. But, it, you know, it connects it connected to me in such a, a meaningful way because they took the time to responsibly explore these things in the game. Even the even the religious fanaticism does a, itself a good service by allowing itself to be comedic, yeah. because yeah. the entire concept of the Garretts is very funny. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> you know, so I want to talk. I wanna, it makes can we it have like very a, digestible. I bet you're gonna want this too. Can we do? We need to do like a whole segment on how religion is presented in this game because it's so. It's so good. Let's this get is like, into it. Yeah, I mean, so Let's like, go and do it. having grown up in a like religious institutions in the Baptist Church in the South, <laughs> right? Like, I understand. <laughs> like, I deeply, personally understand the terrible ways that religion has like a stranglehold on people, right? But also, I've seen like a lot of good, and now obviously, I personally think like the bad tends to outweigh the good by like a considerable factor. But I think when people tend to present this theme in media, they'll just be like, oh, the church, like they're a bunch of uh, child molesters. They're bad. They're the bad guy. Hate them. And like they, they leave it at that. But in this game, like I got the choice to make the main character religious. I got her. I got to make the choice to make her pray during the hard times, you know, and I got to, go to these people who have it terribly and they gain solace and courage and purpose from religion. But it's not just that, right? To, to also to just say that that's the, the role of religion would also be horribly irresponsible. You have to cover like the role of like, you know, for instance, what, what religious fanaticism and what religious nationalism can do to impressionable young men. And in this game, it's like tongue in cheek because the Garrett's are like this funny thing, but like the people in town seem to think that they're like Nazis. They're like neo-Nazis. Yeah. And it's unclear whether they are or aren't, but we don't do, (laughs) we don't get to spend much time with Kenner John. 
right? We don't. But like the whole reason he even started this extremist sect was because somebody once called him a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> And like it turns out that Kenner John is just like a paper tiger. But that doesn't change the fact that he has this group of young men that go terrorize this town of people. That all in the name of God, right? They they do. They, I mean, they're cosplaying. They're they're nothing, but they're. I mean, like they're like trapping people in their homes and like looting people's houses and beating people up. And, and you know, now that is after Papa takes it, and they're building a spaceship to leave the Earth. That's the big thing. And like the best thing I think that the game says about religion. Oh God, I was gonna wait until we do. Sorry, I'm gonna ramble so long about this because this is <laughs> this was like the most. Remember how I told you this? Get like the meaning of the game like came to me like an epiphany in the middle yeah. of the night. This is like what it was, right? Like Pawpaw, the ditch man, to me spoke so deeply and so poignantly about the role of religion as it relates to like generations of people how people are like um held to this expectation that they go to churches that like really hold this kind of contempt for them and see them as revenue and do and have these terrible effects on society and and like lead them to throw away their lives and waste their lives um, only and the only effect is like making the world worse, right? Like the ditch man does all these things in the name of his religion, and all there is to show for it is all this rocket debris and this giant fire that burns up part of the town. And and like it's so true that like almost everything the ditch man does is a net negative for like everyone. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like even for himself and like he has no qualms about going through it in like some of the worst possible ways when right? it's it's all because he believes that he is assisting the children of Christ you know, to give some minor context the ditch man is of the belief that K Catherine and blue blue and Blake are all dis- direct descendants of Jesus and they're like the last. Well, I think it was specifically it's sorry, specifically blue, Catherine. It's, it's specifically it's Catherine's family. Is, Catherine's family. Yeah. So basically because Catherine and therefore Kay and Blake are direct descendants of the line of Christ, the the ditch man is of the belief that they are to be the heralds of the first generation of christians in space Mm -hmm. it's never really like explicitly Uh, said why he needs to take uh, them to space okay there's this little orb there's an angel comes down from space right it's not like completely there's also a book on the bookshelf in the garrett's area talking about um oh god i should have wrote down what it said uh because it was a minor enough detail that i would forget but there is something to effectively this sect of Christianity that's like you have to go into... S- oh, 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 Gnostics? oh. I remember, I remember, I remember. The whole thing about them going up into space is like 5G is disrupting your ability to communicate oh. with God. Oh, that's uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. And... <laughs> 
I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that's pretty much what it said. Um, and I think that in addition to the orb angel are like those kinds of things that are motivating this to happen. It, I, I think more that book is why the Garretts are building the rocket to space, but it's also, I, I mean, Papa is effectively running the Garretts even while Kenner John is alive. I really yeah. like that um, <laughs> everything in this game is explained to some degree except for the angelic orb. Yeah. There's yeah. never a clear explanation <laughs> well, given I mean, as like, to what, what it is. What, what satisfying explanation could you possibly give for like, and I mean, I'm an, oh, sorry, I'm going to use an, the word angel because that's what a lot of people refer to it, but I don't know. I mean, like an angel landing on earth and this all these different powerful unknowable factions like vying for it Mm -hmm. um and like it seems to react to stimulus and favor people and like you know like what could what what explanation and and it's just enough at least it was just enough to me to where you like start to maybe believe the ditch man a Mm. little bit i mean like ultimately (laughs) i didn't because it seemed like his actions were just like hurting me and doing horrible things but like it's like just enough to where you're like okay he was he was right about the orb right it wasn't swamp gas and it was you know it's just like he was right about this one thing it's so i don't know i mean he's also right about a lot of things right like that's true true. he's portrayed as like this weird homeless dude right but he's actually like extremely insidious like yeah. he knows exactly what he's doing to manipulate all of these people to just listen to him, even though they find him repulsive, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> he's such a great Oh god. I also I also kind of just want to point out like what a good point the Garrett like you say the Garretts are portrayed as just funny. And like they are portrayed as like a funny haha. Yeah, thing. I don't. I don't want to say but, they're portrayed as just funny. I would say but, that the they're goofier. They're, yeah, they're meant to be sort of a comedic backgrounds to a lot of the grimmer realities going on around them. But it does kind of do a good thing, I think, of showing all the different kinds of dude that are just. And I think this is something we've struggled with. Uh, probably for as long as our society has become as capitalistic and individualistic as it has, they're looking for community, right? Yes, like for sure. Because community doesn't mean anything anymore, especially in a place like Norco, right? Where like you're going to work for the company and like once you corporatize everything and community doesn't mean everything, you lash out, you look for something to you end up, you of. end up on the internet and going yeah. down deeper and deeper rabbit holes. There was a really, there was another really cool part from Yitzi that I got to read, where they were just like, "Yeah, man, I think it it sucks that social media has gotten so efficient at programming people to stick around. I think maybe, you know, maybe some websites should just be flat HTML programming layouts and." Maybe some video games should be boring, so you put them down after a couple hours. It's really, you know, I think that that kind of ties back to the idea that, like, you know, there's a lot of 
points in this game about how technology has driven people apart and is the the times where it can drive people together ends up doing harm as a result of the people that it, it has shaped and the people that it has put in the same room and one of the, you know <laughs> That's another thing that this game does differently than a lot of other games is like the game is, or I guess Yutsi, right? Yeah, that's how I'm pronouncing it. Y-U-T-S-I. Yutsi is very straightforward and realistic with the fact that like the technological advancements are going to come and be a part of our life they're going to arrive but they're going to be in the hands of corporations that have money and they're only going to be like exercised in a profit driven way yeah right you know like it's it's really fun to think about a world where you can create an image of your consciousness for your family to enjoy forever but the people who are going to do that for you are going to be a corporation and it's going to be a, it's going to be done in a way that's like subtly kind of fucked up and profitable and not sentimental. Right. It's not going to be, and it's just, it's, I mean, wow. I mean, even, even just the sequence of Catherine going to get her memory aligned is so messed up just because you literally, can't let you you don't have enough money to pay for a package that lets you just remember to put all your memories in you literally have to pick memories to delete to not carry on wild and like (laughs) so this is an interesting thing because the game happens starting in the future when you know shield is like looking for her it kind of made me want to delete as much info as possible. It kind of made me want to be like, well, I don't really want to save much of this, uh, especially the things that were like damaging to shield because I was like, Oh, you know that if they're like looking for her, I don't want to give them more reason to like destroy this thing. Yeah. You know, like, can can what you do there change the course of the game at all? There's not. I don't know. There's not really a whole. I think one of the interesting things about this game is that there is a, a very solid role playing aspect to it because a lot of your decisions are not super impactful to the course of how the story plays out. So the choices you make are a lot more deeply personal. Like, They're just for you. Yeah, like making those decisions about how K behaves, like. You know, how does, does she play every morning? How did she view her childhood and all that stuff? Is really more to just get you as the player into the mind of how your character is thinking rather than actually impacting the outcome of the game. You know, when you make the decision of what memories to keep as Catherine, it's you as the player shaping a version of Catherine in your own mind as to what memories would be important for her to keep to give you a little bit more of a connection to her without actually make doing something that's going to irreparably change how the story plays out and I think that's a really cool way to 
do that while still keeping the important aspects of your story together. It's really, it's really cool because essentially the only, the only choice that matters in this game is choosing what ending you get. Yeah. That's like, that is the only. No, no, hold on, hold on. The only choice with gameplay, with story implications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not the only one that matters. Yeah. I found all of them and that maybe this might just be me. I found all of them mattered a lot to me (laughs) when I went back and thought about the game, like did my character hate or love her mom? Right. Like that matters a lot in the context of the game, even though it doesn't affect much. Right. Yeah. Like, I get, I get oh saying. my God. Uh, you know, cause like uh, the ditch man is going to, the ditch man exhumes her dead body and, uh, dresses it up like an idol. Uh, it's like if you hate her or love you or, or loved your mom, that like deeply affects how that would make you feel, you know? I, I don't know about that. I so so like, not that it matters, right? But like, you know, I don't have a positive relationship with most of my family. With my parents, it is neutral, right? And like, even if my parents managed to make me hate them, which at some points they have, right? If their corpse got messed up like that, I think it would still matter to me. Yeah. There's always, you know, there's always that level of you want your family to be respected. No, but it, I'm not saying that it would wholly not matter, right? But it changes, changes the perspective. It changes the perspective. It changes the context, right? Mm -hmm. It changes how you think about the scene. I want to talk about Superduck some, because I think Superduck is one of the most interest is th- the second most fantastic aspect of this game, and one of the most uniquely absurd elements that's going on. Superduck was the thing that I had the hardest time wrapping my head around. I I like the uh, AI Eldritch horror. Yeah, so <laughs> very funny. Superduck is essentially. There's a character in the game who goes by the name Duck. And Duck also got his memories uploaded into one of these conscious things that the corporations are able to do. And somehow the consciousness escaped out of the containment that it's kept in and ended up creating this huge network that's both a mix of biological and synthetic elements that becomes this like rogue AI that is desperately seeking the angel. It ends up coming into contact with Catherine and it knows Catherine by way of being a part of Duck's memories, knows Catherine has access to the orb and like sends her off to go get it. And you know, your first contact with Super Duck is you walk into this warehouse and it's just this horrific mishmash of this like sinew and just like flesh that has been melded together into this 
pseudo eldritch abomination of a being imagine the smell it's got these like beady unblinking eyes and like 10 heads Mm -hmm. it's awful but like captivating at the same time oh yeah and essentially it has nodes set up everywhere you know it has uh, the ability to access birds in the area and get them to do its bidding and there are different points at which you can access the super duck and communicate with it. It's, I just love how it's because the, the to me, the intent of super duck is kind of twofold where one, I think super duck can kind of be seen as like a, like a governmental organization because it's a lot about, uh, surveillance that's like a big theme for me about superduck is the surveillance state concept but also the corporate the corporation aspect of superduck where it is this like all-powerful all-consuming entity that will do anything to meet its goals and on top of that uses people up until they're no longer useful and then leaves them aside to die. I think it's like super unique how Superduck really encapsulates all these elements of these big unknowable entities in ways that most people can't understand. Like most, the average person cannot possibly understand all of the inner workings of a government. Most people cannot possibly understand the inner workings of a mega conglomerate corporation right and so i think depicting that as this eldritch horror that is essentially a sentient ai is so cool such a cool way to get players into the headspace of just fear i think fear is a good word for it and fear of the unknown fear of the unknowable I also lack of comp- the lack the ability of the inability to comprehend what is going on. I also kind of viewed it as um, nature trying to come back. Yeah, right. Like nature trying to fight back because of all of its biological components and right. its aversion to the other corporations. You know, it ultimately fails because it swallows the angel and destroys itself uh <laughs> but because it also mentions like it it's connected to the trees too right yep yeah so it's so cool i love the design of super duck it's one of my favorite things about this game so i have a different perspective on super duck entirely which is crazy because i i like i like your guys' interpretation of it but to me, when I thought about Superduck, especially as it relates to Dallas and Catherine, uh, to me, I thought it represented like the role of organized crime and like drug dealings and crime, especially like in the digital age with sites, you know, like underground sites like Silk Road and things or like, you know, the, the place of drug cartels like in the economy and in like communities because like super duck is this like big ugly thing 
that preys on people who can't work traditionally. It can't work. They it preys on people who can't work traditionally in jobs, right? Dallas and Catherine both are having trouble holding down jobs, and they have to turn to Superduck. They have to do this nightly work that gets paged to their phone, and it's like the instructions are all cryptic. It's like find the node and do the secret knock, and then we'll pay you in like our our little cryptocurrency, which is you know like now in the digital age, that's like especially if you're doing like on di- online dealings, that's how you get paid for drug deals. Because it's not trace, so it's not easy to trace. Yes, because it's not easy to trace, and it it's taking advantage of all these people that work for it because they barely you know like you know you know dallas mentions that he doesn't like really know how many people work for super duck or how long it's been going on he's just been doing it for like how how long does he say he's been doing it for like 10 15 years or something like that yeah and i mean it's a also, long time it's also like just the manipulativeness of gig apps right? yeah yeah that's yeah, the, yeah that's the other thing the gig economy <laughs> yeah and it's like you know you know you get 80 duck coin it's like it's like 50 dollars for like this like horrible night of work that's like grueling right i mean it's also it's also obviously like a statement on the gig economy and things like that but like that's what it may you know like preying on people who can't hold down a normal job who are like sick and desperate and things like that that made me think of like how people especially who deal in like illegal sort of markets and economies kind of like the kind of people they prey on Let's uh, <laughs> all right. Let's get into our one, on that one. Let's get into our moments before we get too too deep into things because I know there's a lot. It's wild that this game is only like five to seven hours long, depending on how you play it, and yet the depth of it is just so wide and it's deep. Absurd. So uh, before we get too before we get too deep into things, let's get into our one moment so we can sort of guide the rest of our conversation. So I want to go first. So I already actually kind of mentioned my moment, but I want to go back to it. And like, this is my moment for me because this is when I knew I was going to just go with wherever this game took me. And it's that scene in the bar. So what happens is Kay comes into town and you've been off murking in the wars in texas it's not really clear what's going on but it sounds like there's gas wars the yeah the the, the west coast is like the western part of the country is just on fire with war and you have to come back because your mom died and you're looking for your brother and you jump through a few hoops uh you uh talk to a dude who either you can just give some pills that your dead mom would have used, or you can strike break. <laughs> or <laughs> Mason gave a very knowing <laughs> look at Buck. <laughs> it wasn't about and strike breaking. It was about him calling me a piece of shit many times. <laughs> I mean, are you really from the cell if you don't know several people that would just call you a piece of shit for this? This was you? different. He was making fun of my dead mom. And <laughs> It was it was not about his job. He deserved to have his lights punched out for other unrelated reasons, and I just so happened to be able to get access to the convenience store after that. Again, unrelated. And so you jump through all these hoops and you end up in this bar 
and this bar is not where your brother has been because your brother's apparently, you know, been up to his old, uh, not so savory ways. So he hasn't been welcome in the bar for a while. And you talk to these people who knew your dad, knew your mom, because, I mean, they're just here. Why would they ever not be here? This is where they've been their whole life. And you talk to them, and, like, they get on to you about the fact that your mom was bad to your dad. who Your dad, who has been dead so long, you barely even remember him because you were so young when he died. Right? And, (laughs) you know, you talk to them... And you have this conversation with them. And like when I said I knew all these people who were talking, I didn't mean like, oh, I know people who talk like that. I knew who would say those things to me. Uh, (laughs) And I just... I was so in from that point on and like the game got a little bit more crazy after that. And there were more different, like there were more different kind of emotionally affecting things for me at various points in the game. But that was really the point that has stuck with me the longest. Yeah. I think it's really important to be able to pinpoint in a game where it truly hooked you like for, for, for like the, the biggest time, the most effectual time. Hey, what's up? It's me popping in for the mid-roll ad. Well, again, we don't have sponsors, so it's more of a mid-roll opportunity to engage with our social media feeds and be automatically entered for our giveaway. That's right. We here at Level Zero Literacy are giving away 6,000 of our new cryptocurrency Littercoin. All you have to do is install our companion app and complete a series of legally dubious tasks. That and like, comment, and rate us five stars on all of the podcast apps. Anyway, do that and more instructions to follow. I'll throw you back. One of the ways I love how Catherine is characterized in this game is when you play her, she's at the most desperate and vulnerable part of her life. She's dying of cancer, or she's in remission from cancer. It's it's a little unclear, but she's, you know, she's got no hair because of chemo. She can barely walk around and she's out doing work at these gig jobs because it's the only thing that she can do. And so your immediate need is to, or like your immediate psychological response is to sympathize and be like, you know, why the fuck is this lady that's been through chemo out walking these dangerous streets doing this fucked up gig job but the game does like all this work during um what's the daughter's name okay during k's chapters to illustrate to you how how much of a piece of shit Catherine is um and then but like the only time you ever get to interact with her is back at her most on like the most vulnerable night of her life right so like you know you during Kay's prologue, it'll be like, oh, your mom kind of ignored you and gave all the attention to Blake when you were growing up. And it like really messed you up. And she stayed with your dad long after she stopped loving him. And it had a terrible effect on him. And like the last years of his life were painful. And the only way she could get a job was like lying on her resume 
and misusing all these university resources to further her own goals and not telling anyone it's like oh yeah she's like a bad person she's like she's a huge piece of shit um but then like you play her and you see her and she's like this meek meager just like terrible thing she's emaciated she has to rely on these people that have this open contempt for her to be able to do anything because she you know she's she's just so dependent on others it's it's so it's so good it's so good and the the scene in the bar is like a a great encapsulation of that so i feel like i've rambled on about your moment for so long but like (laughs) it's a really good one it's really good yeah mason so my moment um during my research of this game, I came upon a story of a real place in the real Norco, Louisiana called Cancer Alley. It's in the shadow of the the Shell Chemical Refinery. And they did about a, a decade of research on this place. And they found that the citizens of this, this area, this strip of land called Cancer Alley, were 20 times more likely to contract cancer than the general population. And during the time that they studied, one in three pregnancies ended in miscarriage, which is straight up apocalyptic, right? That is end of the world shit. Anyway, the moment that touched me near the end of the game, you do, you can do this little side quest for this group of scientific researchers that's studying super duck. They have you take a uh, reading with a radiation Geiger counter. counter. They have you take a reading with a Geiger counter of Superduck and come back and report to them. And one of the people there is Dallas, the playable one of the playable characters during uh, Catherine's section, who has been doing work for Superduck for like fifteen years. And the readings show that Superduck is like highly radioactive. And has just been spilling radiation into all the areas that he's been operating in and spread to for like years. Um, and like in just like a few lines of dialogue, you see Dallas come to the realization that he's been working and being around this thing that's highly radioactive for 10 years of his life and that he's probably doomed because of it. And these other scientists try to be like, all right, come on, like time to get back to work. And Dallas just is like, he stays quiet and just walks off, just resigned to his fate. I'm really sad I didn't talk to Dallas during that It uh, is period. Because, like, LeBlanc was on to me when I was doing some, like, other stuff. He's like, hey, don't fuck around. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I won't fuck around. And so, like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't listen to anything LeBlanc said because he's <laughs> annoying as fuck. <laughs> He's great. He's a great character. He's a great character. But he annoyed the shit out of me. Uh, he ruined conversations. Uh, he, uh, funny you, way. you bought some fries. So that's nice. Sandwich would have been cool too. But you know, yeah, I ain't complain. It's a cheap beer. I mean, I'm giving you good information. You would think you would buy me the expensive beer, but this is. I mean, I'm not complaining. No, but like having to see Dallas come to the realization that he has been irradiated for the past decade plus of his life. He's probably going to contract cancer and that he is essentially a ticking time bomb and then just have to walk off with no recourse, nothing he can do truly powerless. 
like to see this man who helped Catherine, who's just struggling to get by, who you've had these moments that truly humanized him where he just like he just he just had to do this stuff for super duck. He had no other option because he had to he had to feed his daughter and his and his grandson. Like he's like, Okay, like this is it. Yeah. I'm gonna catch cancer and die. And at some point he was caught up with this government sting operation to shut down this being. Yeah, and he just and he just has to walk off. And he's just like, Okay, I'm you know, I'm gonna die. I, I, I'm gonna go. My favorite things about Dallas. He only listens to Christmas music. Yep. Literally all year. Yeah. That's what he listens to. Makes him happy. Makes him joyful. Also, I don't know what period of time <laughs> this game is supposed to take place in. You you go to his house with... Oh, there's with, a Christmas tree up? And there's a Christmas tree up. <laughs> and it's probably like October. It's so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's Well, so you know, it's, it's around Mardi Gras time, right? Because they talk a lot about like Fat Tuesday. There's, there's like no, hold on. There's a, there's a Santa in the streets. Oh, wait. There is a Santa. Santa it's probably December. It could be. That guy's also on very does, heavy drugs. Why does Catherine mention it being early for a tree then? Probably because it's like late November. I I really I mean even even you know cancer alley wise I mean Duck is also a victim of yes the situation. Not only himself who is deep in some kind of degenerative this uh, you know disease of his body, but also lost his son to a refinery explosion because they built it literally in his backyard you know he's like yeah i'm the only person still living in this part of town it's just me and i'm i've been fighting this entire time to try to hold on to what we have but everyone else has given up because it it's not worth fighting the uh the jump scare of turning on the light in Dun- duck's house insane uh, was a uh, another so good potential moment for me yeah <laughs> hey sam what's up what's your moment so my moment is right at the end of the game. There you've boarded the rocket ship. You've tripped out really hard from diving into the lake and taking hits of whatever the hell is going on down there. And now you are working to gain access to the chamber where your family is being held. And to do so, you have to go into two doors that play out very different scenes. One scene is just the ditch man explaining to you why he's done what he's done, asks you for your forgiveness and tries to explain to you that he did this with the best interests of your family and like, all this stuff that just kind of, it's not even like him exposing his nefarious plot. It's just him hoping that you're willing to accept him and his word and what he believes is right. And through the other door is this very ephemeral scene where you look over Norco, Louisiana, you look over, you know, NOLA, 
and see the city and the lights and the suburbs and the glistening glow of this land and the urban sprawl that has come to it. And then it's your house and you go through all the rooms of your house and meet people, meet your family members, even the ones that are gone, Blue, Million, Catherine. And as you're going through, your house is slowly but surely being flooded again. And you're having all these conversations as the tide waters are rising. And eventually everything disappears into the the depths of the water. And it didn't really click with me what those scenes are until I let myself sit and think about it. Because the entire third act of this game is just a complete... trip of an experience where none of it feels like it should make any sense at all but it 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 is the culmination of everything that you have seen in the game the third act is like blasting down the ramp of a roller coaster and so i realized that those two doors are literally the two options for the future that k is being faced with you either entirely put your trust in the ditch man and hope and pray that he has done the work to actually get you and your family into space where he will take care of you. You know, he is very determined to give a good life to your family. He just believes that that life has to be in space or you stay on earth and eventually you succumb to climate change and everything is taken away from you by the world by the the world that you are surrounded by. And man, that is such a grim choice to have to face. It is. And what one of my one of my favorite lines in the game is in there. Uh, and when I say lines, I mean like lines of writing. When you're going through the stuff, I don't remember exactly where this happens. But Kay is reflecting on a relationship with Blake and she's like, "Yeah, you're going to save your brother and then you're going to leave. Yeah. You might never see your brother again." And it's like, man, <laughs> I, I I think it played in like Kay's characterization and her attitudes well, even though she really doesn't have a voice in this game. I'm curious. Did any of us get the ending where we took the rocket to space? I did in okay. my my in my playthrough. Uh, you know, I did not. Back. So like, I randomly looked up a. I accidentally ended up obtaining guide-based information because I couldn't figure out if you had to tell the snipers if the random dude was the ditch man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which you do. You do have to do Because that. it felt yeah. like there was a choice to be made there, but then I looked it up and it wasn't. And then I saw that you could give monkey to the guy in the... To Bruce. To Bruce. Yeah, you could give monkey to Bruce. Like, oh, hey, it's an achievement. I'll give Monkey to Bruce, not realizing that that gave you a lot of time to escape <laughs> at the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, the, two ways, the two ways you can get Bruce to leave are either by giving him Monkey or by playing the message from his father, which Mason had literally saved all the way from Act 2 in the game. Oh. So it's really it's really nice that you, you are, there, there are some of those choices that you make that 
impacts because Mason was literally going around to like every Garrett and playing the tape. <laughs> yeah, I was like, which one of you motherfuckers is Bruce? <laughs> I saw him in the party and I was like, uh, I don't have I don't have mom's phone. But yeah, so I I, God, I loved that moment to, because not only is it the two different depictions of what Kay's future can be, it's also the way it plays out is so beautiful to me because the ditch man is immediate. It's grounded in reality. You kind of know what's going to happen. Even though you have hope that it would work, you know it's almost inevitably going to end up in disaster. Because the Garrett's made the rocket. But it's right here and it's right now and it's right in your face. Whereas the climate disaster, the impending like climate disaster is ephemeral, ephemeral, it's unknowable. It folk it forces you to reevaluate your relationships and the people that are in your life and the people that are close to you, but you can't comprehend it in a way that's concrete. And so you have to sort of envision it as this like moment in time where, you know, you can reflect on all the past times your house has flooded and how that will be the thing that eventually causes everything to drift away. And it's so like, it's so good because I'd say that it's about a lot of games we play, but it was so well done because in the moment you can't, I don't think you can sit there and figure out what it meant in the moment. You actually have to sit and think with it, which is to me the sign of a good piece of art where it forces you to be alone with your thoughts to decipher what the author was trying to get at. And I remember I I, would, I was telling Mason, I was literally like, Mason, you need to give yourself a, at least a day to think about this game. You need to finish it early. You need to give yourself the time to process. Yeah, you're right. And then Mason <laughs> finished the game, and I shit you not, he sat there for like 15 minutes in dead silence just trying to process all of the things that had just happened in the last like hour of the gameplay. What do you think happened to LeBlanc's corpse? I think he just like I don't know, dude. He probably fell off. Like there was a rocket about to yeah. about to launch. Either he could have gotten like picked up by like he could have gotten like tossed over the edge by somebody or like in his death throes just like tossed himself over in hopes of like being found and surviving you know who it's also possible that ditch man just like dumped him over because he didn't want to take his corpse into space <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is possible that's uh, that's what i was thinking that's um, a, that sounds like the most likely thing actually if when you because when you escape he leaves the room the same way you're going so so like the scene with the doors is amazing because like the the parallelisms in this game are really fascinating especially when it comes to a thing i don't know i've been kind of kicking around this idea i hope you'll tell me like tell me if it if i'm on to just nothing one of the coolest things about the world in this game as it relates to real life is there's like there's two there's basically two earths two entirely separate worlds two realities that are just there at the same time and it's just this sci-fi future where you can go get your brain imaged and there's drones and robots that have like sentient AI and you know just like all this insane unthinkable stuff and then also there's just like 
an impoverished community where there's like a corner store and like this fucking some kids looking at turtles yeah kids looking at turtle it's like <laughs> you know there's like these, these two things don't belong together <laughs> but they're here in the same universe and it makes sense because the only thing that separates these two, these two things is money yep and the only thing that the community that the that the poor community that Norco wants to do is just survive until tomorrow is just be able to make it past the next flood and like the the big city this like re- this like futuristic cyberpunk dystopia what they what they're doing is like going to space you know they're like flourishing and it's like the you know they're they're basically like ships passing in the night and i don't know it's you know you play this this game in two timelines and in one you're paying for everything in bitcoin and you're doing work for a sentient ai and the other is like you're on your motorcycle and you have to go to the bar to like talk to a detective who's a piece of shit. And, you know, finally they, they culminate in this moment at the end with the two doors. And it's just, it's, and you know, it's not like entirely separated in the two timelines in the game with, with Kay and Catherine, because, you know, you go to the ball and you get like these like glimpses of things of, of the two worlds and how they intersect and how they, the, the Norco lives in the shadow of this big city that's built around the shield refinery and stuff. But it's just like, so it's so touching and it's so connected. So like scarily connected to reality because this is just like, this is just the real world. There's just like ludicrously rich people and communities that are like, Oh yeah, I want to go to Mars or I want I want I want drone security for our for our city. I want drone uh, the cops are going to start doing uh drone policing for the 4th of July next year. And it's like you know, I come from Mount Airy and it's like you, you know, like people are just like struggling, just like struggling with and lamenting in just like a bitter and disgusting poverty and it's just like how 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 in the hell do these two things coexist in the same world i am from a town who just got bought by a mega site and they are building a giant corporate zone that is larger than the town i am in right next to it you know, like, yeah. And, you know, I, I like my town has three stoplights. It, it is also hyper impoverished. And, and, and for the next 300 years, your town is going to live in the shadow of that corporate yeah, zone. Yeah. It, it's, uh, <laughs> and like what that corporate thing is going to do is it's going to make a lot of people a lot of money and keep a lot of people impoverished. It's going to do both of those things. So there's three there's three other big things I feel like we need to talk about before we can wrap. So let's go let's go kind of in order of importance. So sort of in order of importance. Let's first talk about lucky. So lucky is what I would He's just a guy. 
loosely describe as an eco-terrorist. <laughs> he is a terrorist. I don't know how much eco he cares about. <laughs> I think, I, well, I, his his whole thing is that he is specifically waging war against S.H.I.E.L.D. because yeah. he believes that they're, I don't, maybe, maybe he doesn't I think, necessarily care I think about the environment the his, most. I think his whole thing is he's just a dog looking for a bone. Yeah. I think it just so happens that the thing close by that's a big bone pile is a chemical refinery. <laughs> it's not like Final Fantasy VII where he's doing eco-terrorism for a noble cause. Yeah, like on purpose. Mm-hmm. He's it's doing just, it. It's what's nearby. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still cool and good yeah, it's awesome. to uh, attack S.H.I.E.L.D. in what this it, universe. It's, even, it's especially <laughs> interesting to me because you can tell he does have remorse about things even a little bit because when you steer the robot oh, into yeah. the refinery <laughs> fire he's like oh, oh i didn't we shouldn't have done that i mean it's it's fine that it happened but yeah. oh that's that's yeah. not great yeah he did like have a conscience about the robot he's like yeah. the robot pissed me off but i didn't want to light it on fire i my favorite part about lucky is when you're like hey do you want to come along with me to uh, sneak into this refinery, and then when you get in there, he's like, "Hey, I brought these hand grenades. <laughs> Do you think we could make use of these these hand grenades, <laughs> bro? What the fuck are you doing? Have you never heard of stealth? Yeah, I think I, I think he's just a really good depiction of sort of the class warfare, class disparity of this guy who's just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm willing to just." break in and do some terrorism to this place to make ends meet to like serve my own ideals you know i mean there are people like this right especially in like small towns that have big like an amazon factory or like a you know a car manufacturing place there's just like people that get you know they usually go to jail or whatever they're not like out hanging around in a swamp yeah but like there are people that just kind of do this to get by well, antagonizing even, these giant corporations. Yeah. Even at the end of the game, the ditch man's like, yeah, there are so many people working on the project. They don't really notice anyone coming or going. And that's how I was able to plant a bomb in their facility without them yeah. noticing. <laughs> yeah. Lucky, Lucky is like, I really wish Lucky got explored more. I mean, he's... you. You ha- you spend a lot of time with him when he and he gives you a lot of very interesting information about the shield refinery. But like, I almost wish they w- that you got more time with him. He didn't just leave. It'd be cool if he came if he had come back at some point. It's during very the later half of the story. It's very funny when you meet a lot of like bigwigs from Shield later, and like all they can do is kind of bluster about lucky they're like oh he doesn't know the kind of enemies he's making it's like you have to run news stories where you call him a pirate like what can you realistically do like a a ditch man planted a bomb in your facility do you think you can stop this dude who's got a pontoon and hand grenades yeah like you can't, you, what, do you, what can you do also lucky does not care what you think about him yeah in the like, slightest he's making powerful enemies he can't keep this up forever i bet he can they, like, i bet he can literally his face is shown on the news and he just walks around he's the next door like he's just there he's he hanging can't. out next door outside yeah he's not even hiding he's just like ask he's like Hey, have you seen my dog? 
<laughs> Who's hanging out next oh, hey, door? Hey, you found my dog. You want to go blow up a refinery? <laughs> you want to go do terrorism? He's not. I mean, he's not afraid. Mm. What can they do to him? I love Luke. He's he's such a fun. It's it like it betrays this like weird impotence of Shield, where there's like yeah, they have this drone network, but like they can't just stop this like weird old dude. <laughs> I, but it, I, that's that's like a perfect summation of it, right? Where it's there, you you become so big that you limit yourself in your ability to actually contain the small problems that come up. Yeah, you know, it's it's loss leading. It's oh well. You know, this is this might not even be worth our time to like. We'll just demonize him in the media so people know he's a bad person, but we're not actually gonna like put in the time and effort because we're at the end of the day, it's inconsequential. You know, yeah. We have refinery explosions literally all the time. <laughs> but, oh no, he's got a chuckle with hand grenades. Eh. Incredible. So one of the other, probably the other biggest side character in the game is Million, who is this android with the star she she's he she 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 i always thought it was she she's she's depicted as like having the galaxy as her face which is very funny yeah because she's like a google home yeah (laughs) like you get it like a samsung galaxy yeah like and million she lives in your home. Yeah, okay. she. Everyone, everyone believed that uh, she was your mom. Just like found her on the side of the road and like patched her up, and now she's this loving, growing member of your family. But as soon as you find your mother, where your mother's consciousness has been stored, she turns on you, and you realize that everything Million has been doing has just been to directly lead you back to her ultimate purpose, which was to find what was left of your mom, what was left behind by her. And I think the most likely thing is it was because shield people stole stuff from your house and couldn't find it. Right. So St. Clair sent her because she ends up being a St. Clair robot to kind of like, because they know Kay's not going to question it. So even though Million had been missing, apparently, yep. Kay's not going to question it, and then you're going to end up with what you end up with here. Well, even- it seems like Million had been spying on your family just because S.H.I.E.L.D. was interested in the work your mother was doing, but she was on a unwilling to cooperate with S.H.I.E.L.D. So they're like, oh, we'll pull on her heartstrings a little. We'll send her this poor lost little robot who's helpful around the house as a as a way to spy on her awesome oh god million is so cool i really and i i think the millions design really to me always just like sold me on the character there's something about the alien nature of how she looks because it's it feels very futuristic but the actual things million ends up doing are very just normal you know she fixes vehicles she knows where people are like she all the things she can do are very basic at the end of the day but she is you know been programmed to serve this purpose and 
I don't know. There's just something about her as a character that always gripped me that I, in like ways I could never like fully grasp and hold on to. I think she's a really cool metaphor for smart devices in your home. Yeah. Another extension of the surveillance state as we've been kind of yeah. Oh, yeah. talking about. So cool. And so the last, I think the last big thing that we really need to address is the masquerade where you have your first run in with Laura St. Clair and she has been, you know, burning the midnight oil trying to find this angel that she believes will be the saving grace of the shield company. You know, she's been neglectful towards everything else about managing the business in all just to find whatever this thing is because she thinks it will fix all the problems of the company. And, you know, her dad ends up feeling betrayed. You know, she's the daughter of the C, like the big CEO of S.H.I.E.L.D. So there's a bit of nepotism involved, right? Wrapped up in all of this. And I just, the whole like scene of the party and everyone like so many of the people like just not really giving a shit about <laughs> Laura as a person the vapidness i think that's the word the vapidness of the entire situation where all of these people are just looking for the entertainment for looking for that little bit of tragedy and the scene where like the man jumps into your the actor jumps into your Father. arms <laughs> Why that scene is insane. That scene is so absurdly good. Like, oh yeah, we're just gonna give you a microcosm of your relationship with your family with this actor who's just like doing improv. <laughs> what do you mean? What are you talking about? How did you do why how did you do this? How did you manage to tug on my heartstrings so effectively as a player? This something that feels like it should have been played off as a bit. Yep. I also like how you meet the other St. Clair there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not made clear until the spaceship, and it depends on how you interpret what the guy at the spaceship says, but pretty sure you meet the other St. Clair there. Oh, no, yeah, he makes it pretty clear. He says the masquerade is the only time I can see my daughter, right? And he dresses up as a, a crow, right? Or a raven? Raven. A raven, which is the portent of death in literature. And both <laughs> times he appears before someone dies tragic before they kill themselves tragically, which is also really cool. <laughs> um I Laura St. Clair is such like a cool portrayal of like a just like a CEO who has way too much power in their company. Because she reminds me a lot of these CEOs that have their weird pet projects with Elon Musk, it's like going to mars spacex yeah. spacex with uh with bill gates it's like completely eradicating polio with zuckerberg and jack dorsey it's like web three and crypto meta Dorsey. yeah yeah it's just like these people that have like lost sight of like what their business is and are just using it and their giant pile of money not to like give people more jobs or to create a better product or to like but to just like act as a fund 
for their weird hobby, their weird hobby that like no one gives a shit about, but like no one can say no because they're the boss. They're the one that signs the checks. It's, it's like such a, such a cool depiction of that. And it's just like, oh yeah, she's just like a hollow joyless person because she has all this power, but it can't grant her this like one thing that she wants. And it's, she's like a, she's like a petulant child almost. I also love how, like, where, you know, she's the CEO of the company, she has this pet project, and the board hates her. Yeah. The board just wants her dead. Yeah. They they want her out of the company, preferably dead. And it's like, <sighs> I wonder, you know, I don't want to have sympathy for rich people. Do you ever think about <laughs> how how some of these CEOs must feel like in these positions where like they get to this point and they have all this money and it doesn't mean anything. When there's they've a l- done nothing to improve the world. Yeah. They, <laughs> there's a and- lot of depictions in media of like Nepo babies ending up feeling like these hollow husks of people because they've just always had everything they've ever wanted and so there's been a, never been a real reason for them to get in touch with what it is to be a human, to like just be a person. Yeah. And I think that's definitely in play here as well, right? Where it's like Laura St. Clair is a Nepo baby and has been put in charge of this region. And she probably has no idea what she's doing as far as leading a company. Let's, you know, let's be honest. And I think at the end of the day, she maybe she thought the angel was what would bring her understanding and a more grounded concept of what it is to be a human. And when she figures out that she basically just like can't have it, she just, she kills herself because she just, there's no way for her to get a grasp on what she's trying to find, you know? And the, the, I think the most poignant part of that to me, that whole part of it to me is everyone just leaves and goes to see the rocket launch. Oh, she killed herself, man, whatever. Hey, you want to go see this cool thing where a bunch of hillbillies are going to blow up? Yeah. Yes. Uh, of course. <laughs> no one cared about her. <laughs> and so like most of the people from the masquerade end up at the rocket launch in Act 3. This game was so beautiful and it was it was six hours it's jam packed with just with meaning yeah there's no fluff there's nothing in this game that is just that means nothing that is true there's nothing in this game that's just there to to be part of the game to 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 you know make your dollar worth it to artificially inflate anything and, like, at this point, there are a lot of things we haven't talked about that aren't as story relevant that I don't want to talk about because I want people to play this game. Yeah, just just go Please. play this game. There are so many things here that I love that we have not even mentioned yeah. or alluded to. Now, at all. Buck and Sam, our listeners, my <laughs> followers, <laughs> always play the game before listening to the episode. <laughs> 
I personally think that's wishful thinking. Supposedly, <laughs> supposedly this is going to be like the first in a trilogy. Now, Yutsi never really has said whether the trilogy is all going to be games or like, because he they've talked a lot about working in different artistic mediums where they were like, oh yeah, I, it started as a, a, a zine and then it was a collection of watercolor paintings. And then I got into pixel art and that eventually just became a game. So I'll be interested to see how, if and when this project evolves and if it will in fact be more games. And I hope it is because Snorko is a very beautiful piece of work. Yeah, and I, I'm interested to see where exactly else they're planning to go because they did mention in that article looking at, like, Appalachia. Yeah. Oh, my God, that would go so hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Not only not only looking at Appalachia, but if, if they do that, there is a metal band native to Louisiana that they want to work in tandem with on that project. So... Very much looking forward to Yitz, more of Yitzi's work. This is the first game this person made, which is that's wild. Crazy. That it, like for your this to be your first game is an absurd. Like that's just a testament of itself. So the the idea of playing a game now you've got it in my head. The idea of playing a game from this person that deals in Appalachian culture and like mountain culture is such a exciting prospect for me yeah because like i i have spent a lot of time in mountain communities yeah yeah the mountains of north the foothills of north carolina yep (laughs) well we're gonna we'll we'll go and wrap this episode if you would like to play norco it is available on steam please play norco if you have the time it's very short five to seven hours depending how you play it i know i've rambled a lot can i ramble one more time yeah if you are looking, if you like me, uh, are quickly watching the world become unrecognizable, and don't feel seen or understood anymore, feel like your problems are so material and grounded, while the concerns of the world become so lofty and so literally out of the wor- out of this world, this game will connect with you on such a personal level. I think that I think you're doing yourself a disservice by not playing it. This game was so meaningful to me. And I'm so glad you suggested it, Sam. I'm glad I came across it. I literally came across this game on a whim while just browsing my steam like recommendations. I think it's important for sometimes to just try something out that you might not think you would like it first. That because you never know where it's going to take you. Thank you all for listening. This has been Level Zero Literacy. Next week or next episode, we're going to be playing I Was a Teenage Exocolonist, which is one of the strangest games that I've ever played. Give it a shot. It's a little long, there's a lot of endings, so there's a lot of things to explore. But that's where we'll be heading next time. So give it a shot. Enjoy waiting for that to come out and i hope you will join us next time make sure to follow us on all of our social media channels you can find a link to our link tree on our twitter or anywhere 